0: Welcome to Salem Chapel. If you're new with us, my name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and we're so glad that you came here this morning. If you're watching us online, let me say welcome to you as well. Man, that's probably one of my favorite uh, worship songs. Uh, I have that on my, I have a playlist that's just entitled Praise on my phone, and uh, man, I love that song. It's such a great truth. We say here at Salem Chapel when God's word is open, God's mouth is open, and many of you who call this place your home know this, but some of you do not. Like, that's a song that was written by uh, members of our worship team, and so that's something that's just born out of our desire uh, for uh, the reality of God's word being a better word, um, and that just being put to music, and so I'm so thankful for our worship team and what they're doing and the reality that we have that song just to remind ourselves of that reality. So in light of that, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter Three. We are uh, in our second week of this series entitled Give Us a King. If you are not following along on our reading plan, let me just plug that for a moment. You can pick up this reading plan uh, at the Welcome Center uh, when you leave today. Uh, That's clearly marked. You ask the person behind that desk, and they would be more than happy to grab, to give you one. Or if you're a little shy, you can grab one incognito and just walk out the door. And uh, and so I encourage you to do this. If you're more of a digital person, uh, you You can access this on our website, salemchapel.org. But what this reading plan will do is it'll have you read uh, ahead so that when you come here on Sunday, you would have already read the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. Now, I've mentioned this as well. First Samuel is a fairly large book, and so you will read passages of Scripture that we may not cover uh, just in detail. But nevertheless, at the end of this series, you would have read through the book of 1 Samuel. And so if you have been following along in that reading plan, then obviously, as I just said, you have already read what we're going to unpack today. But let me give you really the background of why we are in this series. Because the reality is, is all of us are looking for a guide. I'm looking for a guide. You're looking for a guide. Some of us are looking in the right place. And if you're like me, oftentimes I look in the wrong place. Because I'm looking for joy and contentment and satisfaction. God's hardwired us to desire those things so that we would look to him ultimately for those things. But as I said, so often we look to other things. We, we may look at friendships and nothing wrong with friendships. I'm so, so thankful for the friends that I have in my life. But sometimes we can put an expectation onto them that can only be fulfilled by our King Jesus. And so we look to friendships to give us that joy and contentment and satisfaction. Maybe we look for a spouse to give us that, a job to give us that. If it's not our current one, maybe it's the hope of of that other job to give us those things that we're hardwired by God to look to him for. We're all wired like that, and what we are looking at is this idea throughout this Old Testament book is where we should look when our heart cries, give me a king. Because throughout this book, what we're going to find is we're going to find Israel desires that same thing. They desire a king, even though they already have a king, even though, even as they function as we're in this passage of scripture right now in Israel's history, even in 1 Samuel chapter 3, God functioned as their king. They were a theocracy. They did not have a physical king. They had judges who pointed, who were designed to point them to their king, and obviously we talked about last week, they failed miserably at that. We're going to see the failures of of Eli the priest and his sons here in this passage of scripture today. But nevertheless, they say in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's where we get the title of our series, they say this to Samuel, they're like, Samuel, we want to be like the other nations, give us a king. And so throughout this series, what we are going to do is we're going to look at lessons from these individuals and these people of Israel in this book, their misgivings, their uh, affections being in other places, but learn from the lessons that we see in these characters to remind ourselves in our own inadequacies, and in our own failures, that what our heart longs for more than anything else is found and the one and true king, and his name is Jesus. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, but we're actually going to cover all of this chapter this morning and even some into chapter 2, the previous chapter, to give us context for what we're going to be spending our time in in chapter 3. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. You look along with me. Uh, this isn't on the screen. So, so normally we put passages of Scripture on the screen, but we're dealing with more lengthier passage. So we're, we're not going to be lazy this morning. We're actually going to either open up the Bible on your lap or on your phone or on your device. And so hopefully you've done that. Look at verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. So the reason why it was rare, by the way, is because of what we highlighted last week in the context of this book, Judges 21, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what we're going to see today is the wickedness was just as prevalent in 1 Samuel here as it was in the book of Judges, and obviously that affected The Lord making himself known to the people. Verse 2, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, this is Samuel speaking to this voice, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he, speaking of Eli, said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he, speaking of Samuel, went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel rose, and he went to Eli. And he said, Here I am, for you called me. But he, speaking of Eli, said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So he had no idea that this was the Lord speaking. And the Lord called again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me, that Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy, and therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lied down in his place. And the Lord came, and he stood calling as as other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Here's the title of the message this morning. Three words to live by. And this is the idea that we're really going to unpack this morning through chapter three and as I mentioned, even back into chapter two, that the hardest and the greatest words to say to the Lord are, here I am. Let's concentrate on that first part of that sentence. The hardest Like, I don't want to minimize, and I don't want us to pretend this morning and and put on our, our nice little mask and ignore the fact that those words are oftentimes the hardest words to say to the Lord when you're going through something really difficult, when you see sin going on. As Samuel's gonna see and the people of Israel are gonna see, and you're like, man, what in the world is going on? To use our language from last week when you're in the desperate place. And instead of thinking about all the circumstances that are around you, you just focusing on and saying, wait a minute, what? What's my responsibility? My responsibility is to say, Lord, here I am. Use me in every way you wish. Teach me in whatever I need to know. Lord, here I am. Those are hard words. And I'd love to get up here to this morning and say to you that every time that the Lord has been pressing into me to grow me in my posture to say those words in different circumstances that I would have said those words, like easily and quickly, those are hard words. They're hard words. We're gonna see this morning that they were hard words but we're also gonna see that they're the greatest words that you can ever say to the Lord. Here I am. It's interesting when I was studying uh, this week, this passage of scripture, I thought to myself, wow, I wonder how often those words are said. Is this like the first time that those words are said to the Lord in this way by Samuel? And it's interesting, actually what you find is there's quite a few patriarchs in the Old Testament who say these words. Let me just mention them. You have Abraham that says these words to the Lord, here I am when the Lord speaks and is trying to get his attention. You have Jacob who says to the Lord, here I am when the Lord is speaking to him to get his attention. You have Moses, probably the most familiar passage of scripture where Moses says these words when the Lord reveals himself in a burning bush and Moses says to the Lord who's trying to get his attention, here I am. You have Isaiah say these words to the Lord, here I am. See, here I am, what we see in every one of these individuals is they say, here I am. We're going to see this even with Samuel before they know what the Lord is going to say or even ask of them. Because before we ever say those words, whether in our mind or audibly with our mouths, before we can ever say those words to the Lord, here I am, we first have to have a posture of our heart, of our lives that says, Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. You put me in this place. You put me on this earth. You put me in this situation. Lord, here I am. Before we can ever say those words out loud, that's got to be the posture of our hearts. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to give you in the time that we have left three results of saying those words, here I am to the Lord, that we see in this passage of scripture. So I just want to stop and I just want us to briefly just have a moment where we can say to the Lord, Lord, here I am. Whatever's pressing on you right now, uh, whatever you've brought into this place, God's word is open, so God's mouth is open, and let's just say, Lord, here I am. I'm going to hear what you have to say, and I want to be obedient to it when you say it. Here I am. Can we just have a moment in silence, and you just say that, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to unpack this passage of Scripture. Lord, I have no idea what each person has come in with this morning, where they may find themselves. But Lord, I do thank you for your word, and I thank you that we have the promise that, Lord, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, which means it can it you use it to apply it exactly where we need it. And so, God, may every one of us this morning, as we have your word open say to you, Lord, here I am. Lord, we know you're going to speak, but God, help us to listen and help us to be obedient. Help us to say those hard words, but help us in saying those hard words to understand those are the greatest words that you want us to say to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we're going to do this morning, I already said it, we're, we're going to spend time in chapter 3, but in order to understand chapter 3, we've got to spend some time in chapter 2. And so, like I said, many of you maybe have already read that, but, but I just want to unpack some of chapter 2, even as we flesh out these results that I see from this passage of Scripture on what the results are when we say to the Lord, here I am. So here's the first one, it's found in chapter 2, verse 18. Starting in verse 18, number one, you experience God's word as a blessing rather than an obstacle for your life. So often we can view God's word as this is something that tells me what I'm not supposed to do. God's word is something that just wants to constantly berate me and cause me to be like, oh, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't have any fun here, can't do this, can't do that. But what we're going to see is the posture of Hannah, the posture of Samuel in terms of God's word. And though Hannah doesn't necessarily say the words, here I am, obviously we just read that Samuel does. But you experience God's word as a blessing rather than an obstacle when you say those words to the Lord. Look at verse 18. It says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord a boy clothed with a linen ephod. So obviously some time has taken place from when Hannah has dropped off her son. Verse 19, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year. And when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So So then they would return to their home In verse 21, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. So Samuel's not their only child. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now look at verse 26. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature physically and in favor with the Lord, learning more about the Lord. Where would he have learned that? He would have learned that from his word, from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. But he also grew in his reputation with those around him. See, here's what I want you to see in these verses. That saying, here I am to the word of the Lord brings blessing in the following ways. Sometimes we want to shy away and say, talk about blessing and being, and experiencing blessing when we're obedient because we're so fearful to be prosperity, gospel, and all that. And I would say yes and amen. Like, like we're gonna encounter difficulties in our life. But, but sometimes we, we don't, want to be come across that way. So therefore, we rob ourselves of actually truth. Now, there's blessing in responding to the word of God the way that he desires. So let me just give those to you quickly. In verse 18, it says that Samuel was ministering. That word ministering literally means ongoing activity. He was serving in the temple, but it also has this idea, that it was something, what he was doing was ingrained in Samuel's lifestyle, Like, God gives specific instructions into how worship is to be done in the tabernacle. Samuel would have been familiar with that, with God's word as Eli taught him. So what Samuel was doing in the temple was dictated by God's word. It was ingrained in him, coming from that word was ministering. Like, here's what it did. It gave him purpose for his life. That's a blessing. That when I open up God's word, and I'm like, Lord, here I am. What do you have to say? How should I live my life? What decisions should I make? What should I avoid? How do I conduct myself in relationships? How do I conduct myself with the opposite sex? How how do I conduct myself in my marriage? How do I conduct myself as I parent? How do I conduct myself at the workplace? How 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 do I live in such a way to where there's purpose behind what I do? God's word gives us that, and that's part of the blessing of responding to God's word and to the Lord by saying, Lord, here I am. It gives us purpose for life. Here's another thing that it gives. It gives us peace for the difficult times. Once again, let's not make Hannah this fictitious character that's void of emotions and feelings. She got to see her boy once a year. She drops him off at three years. Let's say she nursed him to three years because as I talked about last year, the custom of Hebrew women was to nurse up to two years, even three years. She drops him off somewhere between three and four years. Listen, some of you freak out dropping your kids off at that age in Salem, kids for an hour. She literally is like, this son is the Lord's. I remember what I said to him. She drops him off and she doesn't know what he's going to look like until the next year that she sees him. It says that she made him this little robe every year. Can you imagine the emotion in that? Like, well, the last time I made this little robe, he was this size, and he weighed about this much, and he was about this big. So, so I'm going to make this robe this much bigger, and I wonder if it's going to fit. And I wonder, can you imagine all the emotions in that? And then to think of her actually putting it on her son and seeing her son again and loving him and kissing him and hugging him and wanting to spend every moment with him that she could, only counting down the hours and the minutes and the days where she would have to say goodbye again. What kept her grounded to not kidnap her son and say, okay, you've served there long enough, now it's my time. What kept her in that? It was the word of the Lord. The promises that she knew were real, that she saw lived out in her life. At this time, they only had five books of the Old Testament. They didn't have 66 books like us. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So the Lord would not only speak through his word, but he would speak audibly through, or he would speak through audible men to people. So she heard of the word of the Lord from Eli. She took hold of that, and that's what kept her grounded. That's what gave her peace in the difficult times of life. And man, that's what the Lord's word does. And we respond to it with, Lord, here I am. I don't understand. I don't know all of what's going on. Lord, here I am. Peace. I also see provision from the Lord as a blessing. Because you see there in verses 20 and 21, the Lord provides her even more children. Now, I wish that we could dictate what, what the provision of the Lord would be in our life, but here's what I do know. When we're obedient to the Lord, the Lord provides. Will he provide in sometimes differently than maybe what we're even asking? Yes. Will he provide exactly what we're asking sometimes? Yes. Will he say no sometimes is his provision? Yes. I was just reflecting with my staff just this last week when we were praising the Lord for some of the things that he was doing, and I was looking back, and I'm like, man, I prayed so long for that and I wanted God to work out this situation like that and he said no. And at the time when he said no, I couldn't understand it. But now I see the provision of the Lord in a different way and I'm so thankful that he said no there because I see what he said yes to. The point of the matter being is that when we're obedient to the Lord, he provides. And he did so for Hannah. But I also see progress in Samuel's relationship with the Lord as a blessing. And when I'm obedient to the Lord, and uh, to his word, and I say, here I am, there's progress that happens in my relationship with the Lord. That I can see, thank God I'm not who I was. I'm not who I wanna be yet, but praise God that there's been progress in my relationship with the Lord as I've responded to it. What does it say in verse six? Samuel continued to grow. Like, I look back at some of the ways that God has grown me from even five, six years ago, and I'm like, Lord, I feel so sorry for the husband of five or six years ago for you. And then I'm like, well, what am I going to say five or six years from now? I mean, I think I'm doing okay, and like, what am I going to say then? That's part of the walk, your walk with the Lord. He continues to grow you as you respond humbly to him and his word by saying, here I am. Here's a second result of saying here I am to the Lord. We see this as we continue in chapter two and even in what we just read in chapter three verses one through 10. And when I say here I am to the Lord, here's a blessing. Here's a result. You serve those in authority or under your authority. You serve them rather than abuse them. You serve them rather than abuse them those in your authority, or under your authority. Those who have authority over you are those that you have authority over others. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 12 of verse t- chapter number two. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless. And the ESV is what I'm reading out of. Your translation may say wicked. Mine says worthless, same word. It says, now the sons of Eli were wicked men. And they did not know the Lord. That was shocking to me when I read it again. These individuals, Hophni and Phinehas, are functioning as priests in the tabernacle, overseeing worship in the tabernacle, and they don't even have a relationship with the Lord. Verse 13, the custom of the priests with the people was that when a man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up the priests would take for themselves. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Verse 15, moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So here's what was happening. They would bring these meat offerings for worship to the Lord. This wasn't meat that the people were getting. This is the meat the people were giving to the Lord. And one of the ways that the priests were provided for so that they could eat is that they would take some of that meat for themselves. And the custom that happened here at Shiloh, which isn't even literally spelled out in the, in the book of Leviticus, but what they would do is they would take this three-pronged fork and they would stick it in the pot and whatever came out, that's what the priests got to eat. Well, strategy says, well, if I can get the meat when it's raw and I stick the fork in it, I can get a whole lot more meat than if I stick my fork in the pot after all the fat has been burnt off. So what Hophni and, and Phineas were doing is they were literally robbing God of what was his for their own selfish gain, for their own self-interest, which is interesting because those three words, here I am, they can mean something completely different depending on how you say them. Right, like I can go up to someone and be like, here I am, which is completely different than here I am. And Hophni and Phinehas were not in any way saying like Samuel did in chapter three, Lord, here I am. I'm here to serve. You've called me to be a priest. I'm here to make sure that when the people come in, that their thoughts are directed to you, that they understand why they're coming here to worship in this tabernacle, that they understand that you are the provider of what you've given them. So as they give back to you, let's not get in the way of that. No, 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 no. They were in no way looking to serve. They were looking to abuse because they were only concerned about their self-interest, which I wanna emphasize this. There's a lot of talk about spiritual abuse in the church and rightfully so. But let me give you what spiritual abuse is rooted in what I believe. And I think Hophni and Phineas are a great example of this. Spiritual abru- abuse is rooted in the pride of self-interest at any cost. It's not seeing your position of authority as one to serve, but rather you're seeing your position of authority as only being driven about what is good for you. Let me just give you some consequences of Hophni and Phinehas' spiritual abuse. Let me go through these quickly. Here's what they first did with their spiritual abuse they blasphemed the purpose of the sacrificial system. We see that in verse 17. And isn't that what spiritual abuse does? It blasphemes the message of the gospel because the gospel is, wait a minute, we're all sinners. We're all deserving of God's punishment for our sin. That it's in the midst of our sin that Christ died for us. That God demonstrated his love for us in the midst of our sin, Romans 5, 8. That it's level at the cross. That I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. The only thing that we can claim To be our salvation is Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection for our sins. It's not about me. It's not about here I am. It's Lord, here I am because of what you've accomplished for me. And so when spiritual abuse takes place, what does it do? It blasphemes the message of the gospel. Here's what else their spiritual abuse did. It intimidated the worshipers. Because what did I just read in verse 16 of chapter 2? It says that if people didn't do this willingly, they have said, I'm taking this by force. If there's ever an example of spiritual abuse in the Old Testament, here it is. And what does spiritual abuse do? It uses authority as a weapon of intimidation. well, obviously I have this position of authority, so obviously I know more than you, so why in the world would you come at me with that or whatever it is? I mean, listen, there's no lack of podcasts out there that talk about this. Here's another thing their spiritual abuse did. It rationalized their sin. They didn't see it as sin. Was it sin? Oh, absolutely. It's obvious to anyone who would read this passage of scripture how wicked it was. But they rationalized it. And spiritual abuse rationalizes one's sinful behavior. Well, I'm deserving of this. We have no idea. And let me just say this as a caveat. Spiritual abuse oftentimes is looked at as those in authority in the church doing that to people in the congregation. But it also can happen in reverse. But here we see... Look at verse 22, Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. So not only were they stealing meat offerings, but they were committing immorality with the people that were coming to worship. And what does Eli say to his sons? Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. But look at verse 25, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. Here's another thing spiritual abuse does that we see with Hophni and Phinehas and sadly we see it today. It stained the reputation of the institution that God set up for Israel to worship him. Because as Eli points out, man, you got everybody talking about this. Talking about your wickedness. Talking about what's gonna happen if you come to the tabernacle. Oh, you know Hophni and Phinehas? Well, let me tell you what they did to me. And it was totally staining the reputation of this institution that God set up. And isn't that what spiritual abuse can do? Man, it can stain the reputation of Christ's church inside the church and obviously outside. And here's what I know. Is I've run into very, very few people that this has not touched who spent any time in the church but here's what I want you to understand. The same thing that is true today was all the way true back 3,000 years in 1 Samuel chapter number two. Justice is a central trait in God's character because this verse may have had you hung up all week when you read it. Look at the end of verse 25. It says, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So that got you all hung up maybe in like, well, so the Lord wanted to kill them. That was his will. And what the idea is, is the Lord saw their wickedness and he knew it could not go unpunished and he knew it would not be repented of. And though sometimes we can get caught up because we're never gonna fully understand how my free will and God's sovereignty works, but the point of it is this. Justice is a part of God's character. And if you've been touched by spiritual abuse, justice is a part of God's character. In verses 27 through 34, we don't have time to read it this morning, but you have this man of God. We aren't told if he's an angel or whether he's, you know, actually someone that Eli would have known, all he's described as is a man of God. And he actually goes to Eli and he confronts Eli and he speaks on behalf of the Lord and saying that God has seen the wickedness that has been going on and he says judgment is coming. He says this to Eli and look at what it says in verse 34. And he says, this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and this shall be a sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And how tragic, how tragic. But, you know, I think there's a lesson that we can learn in this is that choices have consequences. And what I've found in my life and I've found it been, been a universal truth is that the Lord gives us two choices when we're faced with truth. Sometimes it's hard truth like Eli got. Other times it's truth and it may start out as a whisper from the Holy Spirit. But we have two choices when we are faced with truth from the Lord. The first one is humility. Right, like what we've been talking about. Lord, here I am. Lord, I see my behavior a sin. God, I repent of it. I'm gonna confess it. And seek reconciliation from those that I may have hurt from my sin. Maybe, Maybe I see where I've abused my authority in this way. Humility. Maybe the way I've responded to the authority in my life over me. Lord, here I am. Humility. Or here's the other consequence. Humiliation. Those are the two choices. God gives us opportunity to humble ourselves. But God, out of his love... Will discipline, as Hebrews says, those that are his children, and oftentimes he will bring us to humiliation. And he gives us the choice. And unfortunately, Eli chose the latter. He chose humiliation. But look at the contrast of how Samuel serves the Lord. Like it was important to unpack the wickedness of Hophni and Phinehas so that we could see the difference in how Samuel responds. Can we just remind ourselves, Samuel's a boy here. Can we also just think to ourselves, though it doesn't spell it out, though it really does in a way. Samuel lived in this culture of dysfunction in the tabernacle. Like he grew up with this, he saw this. I'm sure he wasn't oblivious to what Hophni and Phinehas were doing, though he may have not understood every aspect of it. But look at Samuel's response. He serves the Lord. He serves the Lord responsibly. You see that in verse 3? It says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the God was. One of Samuel's responsibility was to keep that lamp in the tabernacle lit. So that's why he's lying there. He's lying there because that was one of his responsibilities. And I love this boy, however old he is, this the way that this boy serves responsibly. He says, Lord, here I am with my responsibilities. But look at what else he does. He serves the Lord humbly. In verses four through nine, let's not lose sight of this. He gets woken up three times in the middle of the night. Some of us, we get woken up once in the middle of the night, it's over. Right? You're up the rest of the night. Like I had that happen to me. I don't know if that's, you get older, you start waking up in the middle of the night, but I know you wake up in the middle of the night and me, I'm like, don't look at that. Don't look at my phone. Don't look at the time. We go back to sleep, back to sleep, back to sleep. Right? See, he gets woken up three times and you see his response every time. It's not like the second time he's like, hey, Mr. Eli. You told me it wasn't you, but you woke me up again. He doesn't do that the third time. He just simply responds, Eli, here I am. Here I am. He says, here I am to his earthly authority. Now, if you're younger, here's a little lesson on life. My two kids will know, I say this to them all the time, anymore nowadays, if you show up to work on time and you do your job, and you don't have to even have to do it amazingly. You just do your job. And respect people. You're going to get far in this world today. Right? I sound like some old person. <laughs> but I think about this little boy and how he conducted himself with his authority. Here's are my responsibilities. i got to keep the lamp lit in the temple. And so I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to complain. We have no complaining going on here whatsoever. Okay, my, my authority needs me in the middle of the night. I'm going to say, Lord, Eli, here I am, and I'm not going to complain about having to get up three times. I'm going to respond the same way. Outside of any spiritual significance whatsoever, if you conduct yourself like that in the workplace, you're going to go far. But here's my point. So often, what do we do as Christians at the workplace? We complain along with everybody else. I remember my first job when I was 15 years old. I, was, I, uh, I did not have great jobs when I was working outside of ministry. For whatever reason, they were always out in the hot sun and I, sweat like, I sweated like a dog in every job. So I worked at a gardenia plant nursery. Got paid 4.25 dollars an hour. I remember my first paycheck, I thought I was rich and it didn't even clear $100 after taxes. And then after working at a plant nursery, I was a dishwasher at Disney, which, does not, which sounds as amazing as it is. I literally just washed dishes. There was no riding rides and living in the, hap, you know, working at the happiest place on earth. No, no, no. I cleaned 250 chicken skewers a night, okay? And then I worked at SeaWorld, which sounds glamorous, but it was hot, and my point is this. I worked for some amazing bosses, but what I found was, is it didn't matter how amazing the boss was. You know what was the culture? We gotta complain about the boss. We gotta say what we're not getting. We gotta do this. We gotta chime in at the cooler or whatever it was. Part of saying here I am to the Lord is understanding who you ultimately serve. And Samuel understood that. But look at all. Samuel also served reverently. Because what does he say to the Lord? He says, speak your servant hears. The Holy Spirit speaks primarily, though not only, but primarily through his word. And how I respond to the word of God in saying, Here I am, yeah, it's hard. But it's also the greatest words that I will ever say. And it made an impact and Samuel's own personal life, but also in the favor of those who are watching. Let me give you this third result and then we'll be done of saying, here I am to the Lord. You see this in Samuel, this boy, that you have the character to do the hard things rather than the cowardice to compromise. The character to do the hard things. I don't have time to read this passage of scripture in verses 11 through 21 this morning. But what stuck out to me is this phrase that after Samuel says this, the Lord tells him exactly what the man of God told Eli. The Lord tells to Samuel. Can you imagine? Samuel's like, what is the Lord gonna tell me? Eli said it was the Lord. I can't wait to hear what the Lord's gonna say. What is it gonna be? What, it, what, what good news am I gonna hear? And all he hears is bad news. And look at what verse 15, the first phrase, Samuel lay until morning. It's the most understated statement in chapter three because he's up all night thinking about what he has to tell his spiritual mentor, thinking about what he has to tell his father figure. And what I think is interesting, first of all, in this section is that God uses a child to reveal his word. And As I thought about that, I thought about this truth that character is not a competency issue. So many times we want to equate competency with character. And it's what gets us into trouble. Character is not a competency issue. You know what it is? It's a heart issue. And the reason why the Lord spoke to Samuel and not Eli is because the Lord saw Samuel's heart. Some of you are wanting to minimize what the Lord can do in you and through you because you're looking at your competencies in comparison to someone else. And what I want you to hear today, this morning, is the Lord is concerned about your heart. Those are the people that he uses. So often we want the rewards of doing the hard things without doing the hard things. And Samuel was willing to do the hard things. He was willing to tell Eli, as Eli asked, tell me every single thing that the Lord said. And Samuel laid all night and wrestled with knowing that he was going to be telling the Lord what the Lord told him, but he still did it. He had the character to do the hard thing. See, let me give you the difference between compromise and character this morning. As we close, compromise is the resolve to hear the instruction of the Lord and obey it. But here's the key: only when it costs you little. Like you're like, when we're reading that, we're like, oh, compromise sounds like doesn't sound like a bad thing yet. Yeah, because you hear the word of the Lord, you obey it, but you only do that, we only do that when it costs us little it's inconsequential, but here's what character is. Character is the resolve to hear the instruction of the Lord and to obey it. But here's the difference, regardless of the cost. Samuel had no idea the way that Eli would respond. He only knew this is what the Lord said, and it's what I'm supposed to say. And because he said, here I am to the Lord, he did the hard thing. He had the character to do the hard thing. And the result was is that he experienced the Lord's presence because it says in verse 19 that the Lord was with him. The result was he had respect and trust of the people, something that Eli and Hophni and Phinehas didn't have. We see that at the end of verse 19. And he was given by God a position of authority. But he was given by God that position of authority after he already demonstrated the posture of his heart. Because up to this point, the only prophet of Israel was Moses, Until this time, and now Samuel is given that responsibility. But as we close this morning, here's what I want us to do, and we're gonna do this every week in this series. We're not here to elevate these people that were fallen and sinful like you and me. Did Samuel make good choices? Absolutely he did here. But we're gonna find later on in 1 Samuel that Samuel didn't always make the good choice. So we would be remiss this morning as we close not to remind ourselves of the perfect one who said, here I am. That being Jesus Christ. God, Jesus obeyed God the Father, and He left His home in heaven, and He put on human flesh, and He lived a perfect life for your sin and mine, and He died on the cross, a death that your sin and mine deserved, and He rose again three days later. But He endured the brokenness of this world, and He said to God the Father, "Here I am." He said in the Garden of Gethsemane, "Here I am. Not my will, Lord, but Yours be done. Not self-interest, but servanthood." Jesus had the character to do the right thing. As we close, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, I think sums up what we've talked about this morning, how here I am as hard words, but oh, they're the greatest words because Paul says this, have this mind among yourselves. What mind? A mind of servanthood, a mind of humility, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It wasn't about his own self-interest. He wasn't about abusing his power. But he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. Verse 8, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So let me ask you as we close, where is the Lord asking you to say those words, here I am? Here I am, Lord. I don't know yet what that outcome is gonna be. I'm not saying it in light of an outcome, but Lord, I'm just saying it. Because even though it's hard, I know it's the greatest words. I know there's blessing in those words. And my desire for you and the Lord's desire for me is that I would say those words every day as I open up his word, every day as I walk with him, every day as I abide with him. Lord, here am I you stand with me this morning, Lord, we are here today to remind ourselves that in the midst of those, those words being hard to say, God, we know that those words are also words that lead us to experience your presence, your power, your promises in our life, and God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our ultimate king, who shows us what it looks like to live in such a way, in Jesus' name, amen.